Joining us today on the Blue Bay Insights podcast is Chief Investment Strategist David Riley. Welcome, David. Hello, Alex. There's been a meaningful rebound in many financial markets since March. What do you think will be the drivers for markets over the next few months? Well, I think the first stage of the rally in risk assets uh, following the uh, sell-off in in March was clearly the extraordinary interventions by central banks and, most importantly, the Fed. And I think that took out the tail risk of a financial and liquidity uh, crisis. But I think what's been, you know, more interesting since the middle of May is that the rally has started to show signs of a rotation into cyclical over uh, defensive sectors. I think, you know, that's been reflected in some relative outperformance of growth. So I think since mid-May, though, what we've been seeing are signs of a rotation into cyclical over defensive sectors some relative outperformance uh, of value over growth in equities, some outperformance of non-US equity markets and, and actually emerging market assets more, more generally, as well as a weaker US dollar. And I think the latest leg of the rally is reflecting now greater investor optimism over the outlook for growth as economies reopen. I think investors are hopeful that the peak in the virus and in the recession um, are past. I think with with the notable exception of some countries in emerging markets, such as Brazil, the rate of new virus infections is declining. And I think investors are becoming more confident that a second wave will be avoided, even as lockdowns are eased, and that there will be a, a vaccine or effective treatment for the virus will be found over the next 12 months or or so. And I do think that high frequency and forward-looking data do offer some tentative signs of green shoots of economic recovery. We continue to get additional fiscal and monetary support. Most recently, we've had bigger than expected budget support announced by the Japanese and by the German governments. There's the European Recovery Fund proposal that we've previously discussed. And most recently, of course, an increase in ECB asset purchases. And, and from a credit investor's perspective, I do think that the scale of policy support has allowed the corporate sector to you know, largely refinance itself. And as a result, I think this has reduced certainly near-term default risk. Typically, it's illiquidity rather than insolvency that is the catalyst for a bike in defaults. And at least in the near term, that liquidity risk has been uh, reduced. And I think that's also helped to underpin, therefore, some of the spread tightening that we've seen in asset classes like leverage loans and high yield credit more generally. But, you know, as, as we've discussed before, Alex, while I do think the initial recovery will you know, look V-shaped because it's going to be coming off a historically low level of economic activity in the second quarter induced by the lockdowns. Um, I I think there is a danger the markets will extrapolate that initial bounce into a too optimistic view of medium-term growth prospects. And so I think this kind of emergent reflation trade, at least in the near term, may continue to 
gather momentum, but I think there is a, a, a danger that markets go too far too fast. We are going to be in an environment where public and private sector debt levels are going to be much higher. I think there will be deleveraging pressures that will constrain uh, demand and investment spending. Unemployment will lag the recovery. And, you know, I think a lot of businesses ultimately will not survive, you know, the post-pandemic um, environment, particularly as liquidity and fiscal support is, is withdrawn. And we're and I do think this crisis is reinforcing some of the prior structural trends, such as deglobalization, the rivalry between the US and China, populism, and, and the demise of the old versus new economy sectors. I think for investors, I, I think this means not shying away from taking risk and, and hiding in return-free, safe government bonds and cash, but I do think it means that you have to carefully sift through the the winners, the losers, and, and the survivors through bottom-up credit sector and country selection and, and exploit the relative value and distressed opportunities that do exist out there in, in order to generate returns. You mentioned that the European Central Bank recently announced further policy support. Can you explain the ECB's latest actions and the market implication? So the ECB announced that it would increase its Pandemic Emergency Purchase Programme, or PEPP, by 600 billion euros. So the overall programme is now going to allow it to purchase 1.3 trillion euros of sovereign and uh, other assets. Um, it's also lengthened the horizon of the program by six months and clarified that it would reinvest maturing securities until at least the end of 2022. I, I think that the scale of the increase in the PEPP was somewhat higher than market expectations. And, and so we saw core government bond yields drop, but in particular, we saw a tightening in Eurozone sovereign uh, peripheral spreads. Uh, we also saw a bit of a pop in the uh, value of the euro as, as well. The ECB has so far bought 235 billion euros of bonds under the programme over the two months to the end of May, and that was mostly uh, sovereign and supranational bonds, although it did buy 35 billion euros of commercial paper and about 10.5 billion of corporate bonds. And I think going forward, the share of corporate bonds in the uh, PEP program is, is likely to increase. But what the ECB has also done by increasing the size of its firepower is that it's effectively going to be in a position to absorb nearly all of the borrowing needs of Eurozone governments over the next you know, six plus months. Important though the ECB policy actions are, I, I still think they're of greater significance is the European Recovery Fund. Uh, since we last spoke about this, the European Commission has published its proposals, which are quite closely aligned to the original Franco-German proposal. So the European Commission plan is to issue 750 billion euros of AAA-rated bonds. So that's about 5% of EU GDP, and then distribute about 500 billion of that in the form of grants to regions and sectors most affected by COVID-19. But the repayments of that program will only be made from 2028 onwards, and that will be under the EU budget. So it will be effectively based on sort of ability to pay rather than 
the extent to which she received support under that program. And, and although there is some opposition from uh, some countries, the uh, so-called frugal four of Denmark, Sweden, Netherlands and, and Austria, I do think it's very likely to be approved by the EU. So at last, we do have a meaningful pan-European fiscal as well as monetary policy response to the crisis. And I think this fairly meaningfully reduces the tail risk of the euro breakup. And, and I think it will boost investor sentiment towards euro assets more, more generally. All that being said, I think it's also important not to lose sight of the economic damage from the health crisis. The ECB also released its latest forecasts, and they suggest that uh, the eurozone economy won't get back to its pre-crisis output levels until the end of 2022. So looking at a, a contraction this year of around a, almost 9% of GDP, so very severe recession. But nonetheless, I do think now that European policymakers, both the ECB, but also on the fiscal side, have kind of really responded very powerfully, I think, to to, to the crisis and, and, and can no longer be accused, if you like, of being behind the curve. Relations between the US and China appear to be worsening. What's the current state of play? Well, Beijing's decision to impose a new security law on Hong Kong without approval of Hong Kong's legislature is, I think, the latest hotspot in China-US relations and, and, and China-Western relations more, more generally. And China's response to the corona crisis and, and the extent that it took full and timely action to contain the spread of the virus, including beyond its borders, is clearly a point of tension and conflict between China and the West and, and, and the US in particular. There have been reports that China has reduced its purchases of U.S. agricultural goods in response to threats of sanctions on Chinese and Hong Kong officials and criticism of its actions in Hong Kong. And it's pretty evident that China will not meet the target for raising imports of U.S. goods this year, as was set out in the phase one U.S.-China trade deal. More positively, U.S. trade representative. Robert Lighthizer said he feels very good about the phase one trade deal with China and that China is doing its uh, best to honour the agreement. In, in our view, the US administration will not want to trigger a sell-off in the S&P and imperil the economic recovery by translating the anti-China rhetoric into a renewed trade war and imposition of tariffs in the run-up to the presidential election in November. But you know, that, that risk can't be wholly discounted. The political calculus for smooth trade relations have been weakened by the fallout from the virus. And President Trump clearly has been very vocal in placing the blame of the coronavirus crisis on China. And, and I think in the run-up to the presidential election, both, both President Trump and his Democratic opponent, uh, Joe Biden, uh, will likely compete on just how tough they can be on uh, China. I, I think over the medium term, what the coronavirus health and economic crisis has further reinforced is the rivalry and, and tensions between, between the US and China. And so even though I think a new trade war is unlikely in the near term, I think economic, uh, commercial and political relations will continue to deteriorate, irrespective of the outcome of the 
uh, US presidential election. So I do think we will see uh, an ongoing decoupling of US and China, uh, essentially the end of America. And, and that will have important implications, I think, for companies, sectors, countries that are very integrated into the US-China supply chains and have been very dependent on that relationship as an engine for growth. So but I think that's more of a medium-term shift rather than a near-term risk. Thanks, David, and speak with you soon. Thanks, Alex. This podcast is issued in the United Kingdom by Blue Bay Asset Management, LLP, which is authorised and regulated by the UK Financial Conduct Authority, registered with the US Securities and Exchange Commission and the US Commodity Futures Trading Commission, and is a member of the National Futures Association. This podcast may also be issued in the United States by Blue Bay Asset Management, LLC, which is registered with the SEC and the NFA. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Unless otherwise stated, all data has been sourced by Blue Bay. To the best of Blue Bay's knowledge and belief, this podcast is true and accurate at the date hereof. Blue Bay makes no express or implied warranties or representations with respect to the information contained in this podcast and hereby expressly disclaim all warranties of accuracy, completeness or fitness for a particular purpose. This podcast is intended for professional clients and eligible counterparties as defined by the FCA only and should not be relied upon by any other category of customer. Except where agreed explicitly in writing, Blue Bay does not provide investment or other advice and nothing in this podcast constitutes any advice nor should be interpreted as such. No Blue Bay fund will be offered except pursuant and subject to the offering memorandum and subscription materials the offering materials. If there is an inconsistency between this podcast and the offering materials for the Blue Bay Fund, the provisions in the offering materials shall prevail. You should read the offering materials carefully before investing in any Blue Bay Fund. This podcast does not constitute an offer to sell or the solicitation of an offer to purchase any security or investment product in any jurisdiction and is for information purposes only. No part of this podcast may be reproduced in any manner without the prior written permission of Blue Bay Asset Management, LLP. Copyright 2020, Blue Bay. The investment manager, advisor and global distributor of the Blue Bay Funds is a wholly owned subsidiary of Royal Bank of Canada and the Blue Bay Funds may be considered to be related and or connected issuers to Royal Bank of Canada and its other affiliates. Registered trademark of Royal Bank of Canada. RBC Global Asset Management is a trademark of Royal Bank of Canada. Blue Bay Asset Management LLP, registered office, 77 Grosvenor Street, London, W1K 3JR, partnership registered in England and Wales, number OC370085. The term partner refers to a member of the LLP or a Blue Bay employee with equivalent standing. Details of membership of the Blue Bay Group and further important terms which this message is subject to can be obtained at www.bluebay.com. All rights reserved.